church Hey, before I get rolling here, um, I want to make a quick announcement. Um, this last week, I had a, a chance to talk to Pastor Gary Underwood, who um, oversees the, our uh, sister church in Muskogee. <clears throat> As you know, Muskogee sits on the verge of three rivers, right? It's all coming together, and the flooding in there has been crazy. So I finally got a hold of him, and I said, yo, what's going on? <laughs> And um, he said that, for the most part, um, they have been okay. They've had one family who lost everything, and um, they're taking care of them. And, and uh, the thing that I noticed was that Gary said that he's been very proud of his church because they have stepped up on the distribution of, you know, water and supplies and whatnot for their community. I said, great. I said, what do you need? Um, he sent a note back to me and he said, we're good right now, however, when the cleanup happens, because they're not ready to do cleanup, right? I mean, there's still, floodwaters are receding. Uh, he said, we need shovels, rakes, gloves, trash bags. I said, great, we'll take care of some of that for you. So, um, I'm trying to uh, start a new initiative, this uh, starting today all the way through, I think next Sunday, uh, we're going to be doing a collection. If you guys want to go to Lowe's and pick up a shovel, rake, gloves, trash bags, whatnot, that's fine. You can do that. We'll coordinate some delivery points, but you can always bring it here next week, Sunday. Or if you would prefer, you can make a donation online and we're just going to go out and buy a bunch of them. Um, I think if we kind of did our math right, which is a little dicey for me sometimes, but uh, we can get a shovel, a rake, a pair of gloves, and a bag of uh, thing, uh, container of trash bags for around 50 bucks. So uh, if you go online, uh, you can actually go to our Give button on the, on the website, and you can actually select that you want to do flood relief, or I think it's disaster relief is what we have on there, and make a donation that way. Or, by all means, go pick out your favorite shovel and rake and uh, bring it on into church next Sunday. And um, we'll make sure that it gets down to Gary and, and his team so that they can get out there. So I'm uh, thrilled that we get a chance to do that, I'm trying to put hands and feet on this. Now, my, my plan is at some point when they're ready for it, maybe we can send a team of people down to help out. I don't, I don't know what that looks like yet. I think <laughs> pretty much the entire northeast part of Oklahoma is trying to figure out what that might look like at some, at some point in the future. So stay tuned on that one. If, if everything happens, we're gonna, we'll put a note out, and if you're interested in doing that, I'd love to have you. But in the meantime, let's see if we can kind of supply our sister church um, with the things that they need to do the ministry that God's called them to do in their community. And uh, let's just pause and let's just pray for them, okay? God, thanks um, for making us part of a larger church <clears throat> that's caring for local communities. And I pray, Lord, that um, in the midst of all of the, the disaster that seems to be around us, the church as a whole would become a shining light. Um, and we pray especially for... Uh, uh, Eastside Church of God in Muskogee and Pastor Gary and his team and just ask you, God, to bless them, to um, watch over them, keep them healthy, keep them safe. Uh, I pray that they would be able to connect with the people who need their help the most and show us how we might be able to support them in that effort um, because their, their struggle is our struggle too. 
We don't want anybody to feel alone, especially at church. So, um, God, I pray that in the next uh, few days, weeks, we might be able to learn how we, we can be supportive and be part of the kingdom of God there too. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for praying over that one. Please keep them in your prayers because uh, they've been kind of hit the hardest from what I, what I gather. Okay, I'm starting a new series today on the book of Acts. Um, we're going to do this throughout the summer. We kind of decided this several months ago that we were going to do this. Um, some of you know that I try to pick a book or a particular topic, but usually a book that we go through the entire summer. And it's because people go on vacation and, and you know, when they, they leave and when they come back, hey, at least they know that we're going to be in the same book. <laughs> so it's not like I missed a whole lot. I can actually go back and read it. And, and so we, we try to do that for consistency's sake. So several months ago, we decided we were going to do the book of Acts. But to be honest, it kind of continues our, our series on the Holy Spirit that we just finished up last week. And um, the, I keep thinking about this, is that, when we read the book of Acts, it shows us how the early church um, functioned, how it figured out how to live out its faith um, without the physical presence of Jesus. Because remember, you've got 12 people and probably another 100 or so others who kind of followed him around and he was doing his teaching and, and his miracles and that sort of thing. And they really thought that this was kind of going to go in a political direction. It didn't. And yet, you've got this group of people who said, we still want to be followers of Jesus, but our rabbi's not here. And so they're trying to figure all of this stuff out. And they had to, they had to learn how to lean into the presence of God um, now that Jesus was gone and that the Holy Spirit was here. Kind of like us. Can I just say that? It's, it's kind of like where we are. And the fact that there isn't necessarily the physical presence of Jesus, and yet his spirit is here, and we have to learn how to lean into that. And I, I just find the parallels to that astonishing. And, and the other thing that I'm wondering is I wonder is if, if we really study that book <clears throat> and dig into it a little bit more, I, I wonder if it might show us what normal is for Christians. Does that make sense? I'm wondering, that, you know, okay, yeah, so normal's one of those charged words. I understand that. But I just wonder if there's things about the church that we read about in the book of Acts that actually those principles and ideas translate to where we are today and, and what happens if we grab hold of them like the early church did. So, um, kind of remind you very quickly that the author of this book is Luke. He is a physician, and so there's lots of details, and most scholars would take Luke and Acts and kind of jam them together and saying it's one book with two volumes, if that makes sense. And there's even some overlap there, especially if you read uh, Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1, there's a little bit of overlap, and you'll, you'll see it there. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this with I was going to call it a warning, but I don't think it's a warning. I think it's a caution. The more I read, the more eye-opening it is to me. And I've read this I don't know how many times. Okay, I've read through the book of Acts. Um, I've taught Bible studies in the book of Acts. I've done all of this before. And yet, for whatever reason, this time around, I'm seeing things I haven't seen before. So I'm just going to warn you right up front. 
look out because I'm coming. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to apologize. I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to. I'm just going to tell you, and um, it's coming. There are things that I think God is teaching me, that is teaching us. I think it's teaching our staff. And there's a part of me that can hardly wait for it, and there's another part of me that's scared to death of it, which I think is just wisdom. <laughs> At least I hope it is. So uh, we're going to start by reading the book of Acts. Uh, so if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, um, pop, open, pop it open or uh, flip over to Acts chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. And just to kind of remind you where we are in the story is Jesus has been crucified and resurrected. And so we're going to pick up the story when Jesus... Um, had been periodically uh, appearing to his disciples. Okay, so let me put this kind of in perspective in Acts chapter 1. There's basically three sections. The first section, verses 1 through 3, is kind of an introduction. And this is where we find the overlap with Luke uh, chapter 24. 4 through 8 are his final words to his disciples and he, uh, his ascension into heaven. And finally, um, verses 9 through 26 is when they replaced Jesus. Now this is interesting because in uh, verses 1 through 3 in their introduction, he mentions a person named Theophilus. Okay? And, in, and uh, this person uh, is also mentioned in Luke chapter 1. And Theophilus is, is an interesting word because we don't know if it's a very specific person or if it refers to a group of people because Theophilus means, there's two words, Theo and Phylus, and it means God friend. So it could be an actual individual or it could be a group of people uh, like he's addressing because they weren't necessarily using the word Christian at that point, but rather God friends, friends of God. So we don't really, really know if it's an actual individual or not, which is fascinating discussion. I mean, we see that in the introduction. Um, and, and of course, we've got, we've got the parallel some parallel verses in Luke chapter 24. Uh, by the time we get to verse 9, Jesus ascended into heaven, and that's uh, <laughs> really kind of interesting, um, because the disciples go back, and they're kind of gathered together, and in fact, Luke actually lists them all out like they took roll call or something, which is interesting, and then they decide, well, we got to replace Judas, because remember, Judas went off and um, offed himself um, because of uh, his guilt and shame, I guess. And so there's this big, long speech that Peter gives, and in the end, they end up like rolling dice, essentially, you know, a lottery. And then they replace Judas with a guy named Matthias. Which is fascinating to me, because this entire book, it's almost like it didn't matter, because when God's Holy Spirit shows up, pretty much he uses everybody. Not just the 12, but he uses everybody. So whether or not they filled it with, with Matthias or not, God was like, yeah, that's cool, but we're all going to do it now, okay? So that's kind of the, the intention. And then this, this whole thing begins to take off in the book. But my interest today is uh, in 4 through 8. And I want to talk a little bit about this because I think this is very interesting. Um, actually, I started in verse 3. That's fine. After his suffering, meaning Jesus, he presented himself to them, to his disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, which I thought was really cool, they were having supper, right? Having dinner. Um, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Okay? 
So hold on, don't go anywhere, something's coming. Verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, hang on to that one. We're going to come back to that in a minute. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Wait a second. Are you just talking about the kingdom of God? Now they're talking about the kingdom of Israel. Look, Jesus died. He was resurrected, and they're still thinking politically, which I think is just fascinating, because I think, I think sometimes we all can fall into that trap. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How many of you have heard that last part before? You know, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We've heard this. Every missionary who's ever done a talk seems to bring this, this verse up. And I think that's fine. But I want you to notice that the witnessing part is secondary, or not secondary, or is the result of, is probably a better way of saying it, the power that they will receive. Don't miss that. There is an order here, power, then the witnessing, okay? That's what Jesus is saying. But you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. Mm. And so these two, there's two verses here that I think um, stand out for me. First of all, verse 5, um, For John baptized with water, and in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke actually talks about this. It's in, it's in Luke um, chapter 3. Here it is. This is John the Baptist. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. Because huh. John was an interesting character. So they're wondering. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Why fire? I've been thinking about this. Um, I don't know if I've got a great answer for it, but I've been thinking about why is the Holy Spirit often associated with fire? And I think it's for a couple reasons. I think, first of all, I think fire, at least in that day and age, would be your source of light, right? It illuminates things. Secondly, it's used to purify, um, especially in metallurgy. Uh, it would be used to purify things, heat things up, and all of a sudden the bad stuff kind of burns off. And so there's this notion of fire, and I think there's this long history within Jewish tradition that associates God with fire. And he says, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I think there might be a reference to suffering here, but because we're Americans, we don't want to talk about that, right? But I think there might be, because I think sometimes there is a cost to following. There is a cost um, of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I remember in college, I had a professor once who said, look, if you want to have the same kind of power that Peter has, you need to understand that there is a great deal of cost that's associated with it. I thought, huh, that doesn't sound like fun. 
Um, and yet, I understand now kind of what this is about. So, John himself testifies to this. He says, yeah, I'm baptizing you with the water, but there is one who's going to come who's going to also baptize you with, with the Holy Spirit. So, it appears, in my mind, that there seem to be two separate um, ideas, that, uh, do I, two separate ideas or two works here. One is the baptism of John, which tends to be around this idea of repentance and forgiveness, because John was very big on uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And when we talk about repentance, and I want to make this very clear, because I think for a long time I had a wrong view of repentance. Repentance is simply doing this to this. It's turning away from something to something else. And for often, or very often, I, I kind of associate repentance for, I don't know what reason in my mind, it was, it was associated with groveling. You know, it's like, oh, repent, and there's lamenting, and that's not it at all. Repentance is just saying, I'm not going to do that anymore, I'm going to do this. That's repentance. Now, there may be some, some heartfelt anguish for guilt and that sort of thing. That's a separate issue. Repentance, and for the forgiveness of sins, this is what John was talking about. That's the baptism of John. And by the way, we're going to see this uh, over and over again. Luke continues, though, uh, in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay, yes, we've heard this. Um, there is this power to act and to witness it. Oh yes, by the way, the word witness here in Greek, the, the, the root word is martyr. Yay, right? Doesn't necessarily mean the same thing in Greek, but that's where we get our word from. This is serious business, I think. And of course we know in Acts chapter 2, there's a rushing wind, there's flames, there's languages, there's some miracles. And the entire rest of the book of Acts um, tracks how Jesus is proclaimed to the ends of the known earth, I guess. Right? Because we, we actually watch Peter and Paul and we watch all of them and they're doing their missionary journey things and, and we see this. And so the disciples received the power. They did as commanded. Mission accomplished. No more power needed. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not just a little check mark. See, it's interesting because those 12 actually only covered part of the known world. So we know that, that Peter... And John and Paul eventually made it to Rome, which would have been the epicenter of kind of the known world. You get a church in Rome, and you're going to see Christianity spread all over the place. It's interesting that the the Roman Catholic Church, the the Pope sits on the essentially the throne of St. Peter, right? So we know that Peter got there. So Peter with John with Paul, they all got to that same same point. There was another group of Christians, um, I don't remember which one of the disciples, that uh, actually moved into Egypt and North Africa. There was a group of Christians called Coptic Christians. Uh, my best friend happens to live in Cairo and will tell you that Coptic Christians are still alive and well in Cairo. And in fact, there is a, a certain amount of... Um, separation between them and the rest of Egypt because they are the true Egyptians because they never intermarried with Arabs. Isn't that interesting? And so there's this kind of separate thing. That all came about, that evolved over a period of time, but it, it, it's moving across the north of Africa. Did you know that Thomas, remember the guy who is the doubter? 
he actually went east. And he started churches in modern-day Persia, India, and even China. There is a Christian tradition that grew up east that had nothing to do with Orthodox or Roman Catholic Christianity, and they still exist to this day. So we've seen this witnessing going throughout, but that's hardly the ends of the earth, right? So there's got to be more. There's got to be more people involved in this than just those 12, because the 12 can't cover everything. And so, yeah. We also know that, that um, power came on others, too. So, so you're going to see this as we go through the book, but in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and it's this astonishing thing. But <laughs> in Acts chapter 8, the same spirit, the same phenomenon comes on a group of Are you ready for this? Samaritans. Yeah, those Jewish half-breeds that the Jews don't really like, that there's been animosity for hundreds of years between these two people groups because they're kind of like, they're like mudbloods. You know, we we don't really like them for you Harry Potter fans. That's what they are. And yet the Holy Spirit falls on them too. Well, that's interesting. And then, in chapter 9, the same Holy Spirit comes on a man named Saul who was persecuting the church. And he has a divine encounter with Jesus himself and is called and becomes one of the greatest missionaries and one of the greatest writers of the New Testament. We call him Paul. In chapter 10, because I'm not done yet, in chapter 10, um, the Holy Spirit again comes upon, are you ready for this? Gentiles, non-Jewish people, in fact, a Roman soldier and his family. What? That's just crazy. And at the same time, the church is going, what is, how do we handle this? Because we thought it was just going to be us, and it's not just us. The Spirit of God is beginning to move as people begin to believe in Jesus, and the Spirit comes. And then in Acts chapter 11, we're introduced to a church in the northern part of what we would call Palestine, a church called Antioch. Antioch is a fascinating, someday I hope to do a a study on on that particular church. That is fascinating because there are people who are named within that church who have incredible gifts. Paul and Barnabas are sent out of that church to begin their missionary journeys. It's not even Jerusalem anymore. We are now Jerusalem, Samaria, right? And beginning to the ends of the earth. Things are beginning to happen because the Holy Spirit is coming upon these groups of people and they are are seeing this power, this divine power. And it's not just simply motivation. We have to understand that. It is hearing directly from God himself saying, I have set apart Saul or Paul and Barnabas. They knew this because they were in prayer. They knew this because they had a direct con- contact to God because God's spirit had come in power. And so the mission continues and, the, and apparently the power continues as well. And we know that that has continued because you and I are sitting here today 2,000 years later. Right? So this thing has been growing and expanding and things have been happening all along. So 
the last few weeks, um, I don't know why, but just the last kind of few weeks, I have, um, I've had this question in the back of my mind, and I've, I've, I said it last week, is where's the church's power right now? When we talk about this idea of power, where is the church's power now? Because I'm troubled, and I, I don't know how else to say this. I don't, I don't know. I'm troubled because I, I see, I read things in my text, and it doesn't match up with my experience. I don't like that. That makes me uncomfortable. I mean, you see these, these things happening at such a powerful level with the Spirit coming on a group of people and, and, I mean, truly miraculous sorts of things happening. And I look at our own church, and I love our church, by the way. I love, I love our church, I love hanging out with you. But the fact of the matter is, is that where is that kind of power in the church today? And it, it troubles me that I don't, those two things don't match up. And I, and I suspect it's one of the reasons, I know it's one of the reasons why young people are leaving the church. Because they're like, you know, I'm not, I heard a story about a guy who uh, came to faith and um, he, he didn't know anything about the Bible. He didn't grow up in the church. He didn't have flannel graph. He didn't have any of that. And so when he became a Christian and started believing um, in Jesus, he got open a Bible and he started reading about it, went to his pastor, and he, he said, hey, when do we start doing this stuff? There's a part of me that I'm asking that same question. When do we start doing this stuff? There seems to be kind of three streams. This might be overly simplistic, but I'm, I'm going to put it out there anyway. But I, I see there's kind of like three streams out there. There's a kind of a fundamentalist view of, of the church where um, we have a completed Bible, so we don't need any type of supernatural anything because we have the Bible. Hmm, that's interesting. There's also a liberal stream that denies the supernatural ever happened, so we're not supposed to read the Bible literally at all. Um, we're not supposed to do that, and we're not, it's not, we're not supposed to take it that way. It's, it's a metaphor for something else, spiritual truths or something like that. And, and then there's kind of this, um, I would call it a general sort of evangelical viewpoint where it's like special individuals were empowered for a very specific time. But we don't necessarily expect much from God. And I think the net effect of all of this, if I can be honest, it's like we, I don't even know if this is a word, de-supernaturalized the Bible. And let me tell you, if it's a long thing to say, you should try writing it, de-supernaturalized. But it's like we've, we've, we've done that. And, and the thing that's so, so problematic is that it leads us down a couple of paths. And the first one is, is that when, we, when, when the Bible is no longer supernatural, at least what we see contained in the text, it, it leads us to a moralistic Christianity. Or it's just about moral behavior. And, and it's like our, our faith is de- dependent on our discipline. How well can we be disciplined ab- ab- about certain things? Um, and, 
And that discipline is kind of the speed of, uh, key to spiritual life. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in spiritual disciplines. I think those are important for us. But I don't think that's all there is. And golly, it seems to me that if it's all dependent on me and my discipline, that is a short jump to legalism. Does that make sense? I mean, some of you are nodding. You understand that, right? So if it's just going to be a moralistic sense, then there's a, it's a short jump to legalism. Um, I, I saw this quote. Uh, this is Jack Deere. Uh, he's an interesting guy. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more about, about him in a second. But he said, we may study the book of Proverbs and try to discern principles for raising our children, but we never learn how to pray with the kind of faith that delivers a teenage daughter from drugs. Beyond taking... Um, uh, taking, what does it say? Taking his to heaven, taking us to heaven, we do not expect too much from God and we usually get what we expect. Ow! Now let me explain something. Jack Deere was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for a number of years. And for those of you who know, Dallas has a, um, a seminary, it's a great school for biblical scholarship. It's excellent. They have an excellent degree program. Uh, but they have a faith statement that says that the spiritual gifts are no longer available today. And Jack Deere had an encounter, a pretty big one, and realized that's not true. Did a 180, lost his job, uh, went to work for a church that actually believed in this stuff, and wrote a couple of books, and I got this out of one of his books, and I, I thought this was incredible. So we can go to the book of Proverbs and we can, we can, again, read about how to be a good parent. And yet, and some of you know this, and we'll learn how to pray to help deliver a child from whatever they're messed up in. It's an indicting statement. The other thing that happens with the de-supernatural Bible, it can cause us to stop reading a book where God intervenes on behalf of his kids, but we see little of it in our present experience, which is kind of what I've been getting at. And so God is remote. He helps his people, but not so much. Not all the time, and it seems kind of random when he does. It doesn't happen very often. Deere says this again, the Bible is more than a theological treatise. It is a guide to dynamic encounters with a God who works wonders. The Bible was given to us that we might hear God's voice and respond to that voice with life-changing faith. Powerful statement. Church, don't you want that? I mean, isn't there this part of you that's going, yeah, those things that happened that I read about, yeah, it seems a little scary, but man, I would really like to see that happen again in the church to the people I know, maybe somebody you even know. I just want to remind you that Jesus said himself, everything is possible for, for one who believes. Keep that in mind. I suspect that we're missing out. I, I really think that we get and we understand the baptism of John. We get the idea of repentance and the forgiveness of sins. I think we get that. But I wonder if we're missing the power of the Holy Spirit. Now look, I, I, I know the way this is supposed to work, okay? I know that I'm supposed to have all this figured out so that I can tell you, okay? I understand. I understand how this works, okay? <clears throat> 
I'm supposed to be three or four steps ahead of you so that I can, you know. But I don't. I don't have it all figured out yet. All I know is I'm reading something in the Bible and I'm wondering when are we going to do that. And so I'm inviting you to, to discover the stuff with me. One, because I really don't want to do it alone. Um, I'm kind of an extrovert, so I like people around, right? So I don't really want to do that alone. And, and quite honestly, I, um, I think sometimes we need more than one set of eyes on things because you're going to see things that I don't see. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you'll discover with me, does God still speak to his people today? I mean, directly? Yeah, I mean, he might use his Bible, he might use his word, I mean, but does he actually talk to us directly? What does his voice sound like? I, I wonder that. What is he saying? What's he saying to us individually, but also what's he saying to Thrive Church? And how might we respond? How might we respond? And so the th- through the book of Acts, I think we're going to learn from the early church because I don't think their circumstances are a whole lot different than ours. We don't have the physical presence of a rabbi. I'm not that, so don't look to me for that one. Um, I, I just, I, we're, we're trying to, to figure out how the Holy Spirit and human beings interact with one another. And, and as we learn, um, I'm going to make a couple of commitments to you. And I hope that you'll make the same commitments, but, but here it is. The first thing is, I will be real. I will be real about my questions because I got a lot of those. My doubts. Um, and I'm going to be real about my experiments because everything's an experiment. And I really, I really think that the only way this works is if we're, we're real with one another about this. Um, the second thing I'm going to commit to you is that I will be thoughtful about this. I have no plans on going off the theological rails. <laughs> so for those of you who are worried about me going all Oral Roberts or something like that, now I, a friend of ours planted a church. Some of you heard me say this. Um, they're charismatic with seat belts. Um, we're charismatic with a five-point harness. How's <laughs> that? A little bit different. A little bit different. I'm open, but I'm real cautious about these things, and I, I think it's important. We're going to ask the questions, is this biblical? Is this reasonable? Is this something that stands up to logic and reason? Um, is it aligned with our experience? Are we actually seeing the stuff work out in not just one area, but a variety of areas? And uh, is it aligned with the history of the church? I was just talking with somebody this morning, and it, it seems to me that there's something that we need to recapture. The Church of God, for years, has believed in healing prayer. It was a distinctive of the Church of God when it first came up. We actually believe that God answers prayer. Go figure. I, church, we need that. The world needs that. We need to recapture that idea. And I, There's this part of me that says we need to access our rich history when it comes to things like that. And, and so here's, here's the thing. I'm just going to ask you to read Acts chapters 1 through 4. I don't know how far we're going to get, but um, I'm just going to continue going and there's certain things that I really want to make sure that we talk about. But 
if just in the start of the next week or so, why don't you read Acts chapters one through four? And uh, if, you, if you think about it, keep a little, I don't know, notepad or something next to it. And if you notice something in the text that just kind of grabs your attention, write it down. Um, maybe God's talking to you through that text. I don't know. Maybe there's something in it. Maybe you got a question about it. That'd be cool. Let's talk about that. But the point is, is that if you're reading it and you're actually making notes about it, maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit might be talking to you. And that's a, a learning thing, and that's an encouraging thought. So I don't, I don't know. I, most of the time when I stand up here, I get a very clear sense of what happens next. And when I prep a sermon, I've got everything laid out. Um, so who knows how I was taught. Um, but in this case, I'd, I gotta be honest, I feel like there's this big open-ended question. In fact, this morning when I was doing my review, I'm like, so God, is there like anything else you want me to say? <laughs> kind of a thing. And I don't, I, don't, I don't really know. I see God moving, um, and I don't want to miss out. I see God taking all of us on a journey, and I don't want any of us to miss it. I think God is trying to teach us not something new, but something ancient and wondrous and good and holy and powerful and something that the church desperately needs. Not just our church, but the church in general.